Lights are very bright. Is that, uh, is that too loud or is that okay? A little loud. Hannah, I think it's a little bit loud. Take a look at those lights. It's, they're very bright. I came in and did a little bit of a test this afternoon and I didn't know the lights were going to be there. I said, oh, it looks like the sun's reflecting in. Must be getting dark. What? Oh, it's okay. I just have, I was surprised at first. They're bright. But I think we're, this is for what? For um, live streaming. So I hope you wore nice clothes. I was told to dress in a certain way. Is this on? No. Hello, hello? Good evening, everyone. Now we're on. Um, Happy New Year. Welcome to Spirit Rock. Um, tonight, we I just have a couple of announcements, and then we'll get right to um, the, the meditation and Dharma talk. Um, I'm Mary Ellen. I'm the event quarter, uh, coordinator for tonight. If you have any questions, please come and ask me or anyone who has a um, name tag is a volunteer and they can help you. Um, it, we have tea out in the, in the tea room. We don't have any cookies tonight because bovine is closed. So sorry about that. Um, if you do have a beverage, if you can just put a lid on it, that would be wonderful. Um, there are blankets in that closet over there if anybody is cold or chilly. We have lots of um, Zafus and Zabatons, so please make yourself comfortable. Um, and I don't have anything else unless you have something for me. Donald has um, books for sale, an email list, and some um, handouts if you would like to see what's coming up for him. Okay? Just check that everyone got a uh, sheet of paper and a writing implement. And if you do not have one, raise your hand and I'll come give you one. Okay, yeah. great. A couple of them? Okay, perfect. I'll, yeah. I'll come. We'll use those uh, later in the evening, but it's good to have it uh, now. Right now, okay. okay. And we should, there'll probably be people coming in, so we want to get those to them too. I, I will make sure that happens. Okay. okay. Yeah, we can check during the, the break. Yeah. Okay. okay. Thanks. <clears throat> so welcome everyone. Um, my name is Donald Rothberg. I'm one of the members of the Teacher Council, Teachers Council here at Spirit Rock. Uh, I don't teach that much on uh, Monday evenings. I uh, teach retreats and teach a lot on Wednesday mornings. Anyone here come on Wednesday mornings? Yeah, so not too many. Um, so it's a pleasure to, to uh, be here, and um, maybe I'll introduce myself a little more fully uh, after the meditation and break, because there'll probably be uh, people coming in for the next period of time. 
So our format is, anyone here to the Monday gathering for the first time? Oh, great. Well, welcome. Um, anyone here at Spirit Rock for the first time? Wow. Okay. So, welcome. And um, the format that we usually have here is a period of sitting meditation. It'll be about 35 minutes or so. Then we have a short break. You can use the bathrooms or connect with people. And then we'll come back for a, uh, a talk. There'll be some discussion. And we'll also do, this evening, we'll do uh, uh, a collective practice uh, towards the end of the evening. Okay. Again, maybe just to uh, introduce myself a little more fully for people whom I haven't met um, which I think is most of you. I think, how many people have I met before? Okay. Well, more than I thought. Okay, very good. Um, so, Donald Rothberg, I live in Berkeley. Not bad traffic tonight from the East Bay. And I've um, been doing teaching at Spirit Rock for nearly, nearly 20 years. And have... Um, before that, I did a lot of work with uh, Buddhist Peace Fellowship. And I've, I think for a long time, had an interest in connecting inner practice with finding ways to bring it out into the world and um, in all sorts of ways, whether it's in groups or families or communities who are engaging in the larger world. And, um, you know, I've, I've done books on that. Also very interested in the intersection of um, meditation and psychology, and I'm working on a book now called Transforming the Judgmental Mind. Would anyone still have that? Okay. Okay. Um, I'm not going to talk about that much tonight, so, but I do teach on that. So those are, I teach also on um, speech and communication practice a lot. So sort of a variety of things from Meditation retreats related to loving kindness, compassion, forgiveness, mindfulness, concentration practice, and then more focused retreats on the judgmental mind, on um, speech and communication practice, and also on what we sometimes call a socially engaged practice. So pretty broad interest. So in this first period, though, we'll, we'll really do our formal mindfulness meditation. And um, I want to ask, how many of you are either pretty new to mindfulness, such that you could use some instructions, or rusty? Raise your hand if you're fairly new or a little bit rusty. Okay, so I'll give very uh, basic instructions. And those of you who are very familiar can either listen and maybe learn something or just... Um, Tune me out and, and focus on your own practice. Okay. So we first, it's helpful to find a posture where you can be both um, relaxed and alert. In, in Western culture, those, that combination is often not easy, right? We're often, if we're relaxed, we're not so alert. If we're alert, we might have a little tension. Here we try to be both relaxed and alert. So posture can help have a good connection with the uh, chair or cushion or floor. Generally have the back straight, the uh, chest open. 
We usually meditate with the eyes closed, but if you've learned a way of practicing with eyes gently open but not focused, you can do that as well. It can be helpful to, right at the beginning, set an intention. It could just be a, a sentence or two about why you do this, or if you're newer, you know, why you're interested in this. Just to take, you know, 30 seconds to set an intention. And then our practice typically has uh, two phases. The first is becoming less distracted and more settled. And the second phase, on the basis of being somewhat settled, we try to just notice whatever's happening. That's where the mindfulness practice comes in. Mindfulness is really the noticing clearly without reactivity whatever's happening. You know, whether it's a planning thought, an emotion of irritation, a sensation in the body, whatever. We want to first settle and then develop the capacity to see clearly what's happening. The whole idea of the practice is that on the basis of having a settled mind and seeing clearly our own experience, moment after moment, you know, over time, we see the habits and tendencies of mind which are not helpful. And we also can see what is helpful. So there's a kind of learning process that occurs when we simply notice moment to moment what we're doing. That's the practice that we do in this protected environment. And then we learn how to actually bring both of those capacities out into the flow of daily life. which isn't so easy, but that's, um, that's really our intention. Okay, so for the first part, the settling, we typically do that by focusing on what we call one object, one focus point. The most common place to focus is the breath. But if anyone has uh, any history where the breath is not neutral emotionally, maybe a history of asthma, something like that, then we wouldn't um, be advised to use the breath. There we would use something that's always there, that's emotionally neutral, and that we can keep coming back to when we get distracted. So we might, most of us will use the breath, and I'll get to that in a moment, and others might use just the sensations of the hands touching, or the contact with the cushion, or sound. And we just stay with those, When the mind wanders, we come back. That's what we'll do with the breath as well. So with the breath, we try to be aware of the breath where the breath is easiest to follow. Sometimes that's the area of the belly. We can actually keep the hand with the rising and falling of the belly if we want to help us. But we would bring our attention to the sensations of the breath at the belly. When the mind wanders, we just come back. We might also be aware of the breath at the area of the um, lungs, the chest area, lungs expanding, contracting. 
We might also be aware of the breath at the area of the nostrils, just the sensations of the breath as it comes in or goes out sometimes, just feeling the breath coming by the tip of the nostrils in and out. So if we're newer, we would try to see where it's easiest to pay attention to the breath. Maybe the belly, maybe the area of the the chest, the lungs, maybe the nostrils. And if we're really um, completely new, we can experiment some. It's good to settle on one area where we just are with the breath. And then our practice is be aware of the breath at the level of sensation without forcing the breath or visualizing it, just very simply at the level of sensation. And when the mind wanders, we just come back. I'll give one further helpful tool, which is helpful for a lot of people. For most of us, there's a gap between the out-breath and the in-breath. And for a lot of us, when we're meditating, that's where we get distracted. It's like in, out. What's for lunch tomorrow? Oh, we're off to the races, as it were. And so a helpful technique can be to actually bring our attention during the pause to what we sometimes call a touch point. So we, in a sense, have a three-part breath. We're aware of the breath, and we might say in, very softly, out. And then we bring the attention to the hands or the contact with the cushion, sometimes to the whole body. And we, we just keep it there, maybe just for half a second, and we wait for the new in-breath. And then as soon as that comes, we switch the breath there. That's an optional technique, which a lot of people find very helpful. So essentially, we're letting the mind be putting some energy out to follow the breath, and that actually helps cut through distraction. So we'd be in, out, pause, in, and then the in-breath comes back. So that's for the settling part of the practice. And then for the seeing part of the practice, where we're when we have some degree of settledness, and for some of us who are new, we might do the first type of practice for most of the session. Then for the second type, when we're somewhat settled, we stay with the breath. If something else becomes predominant, if it takes our attention away, we notice where it's gone. Maybe I'm with the breath in, out for a few breaths, and then I think about something that happened earlier in the day, And as soon as I notice that, I might give it a very quiet label like remembering or maybe a discussion with Susan. And then I come back to the breath. I go in, out, and try to stay with that. And then maybe I feel some sensation in my shoulder. And then I would switch to that if it takes my attention away, if it's predominant, and bring my attention to the sensations in the shoulder As long as it's predominant, if it's no longer predominant or I'm not sure what's predominant, I always go back to the breath. And I might say when the sensations are there, just sensation, sensation, very softly, most of the attention, 95% of the attention, just on the sensations. Or I might notice I had maybe irritation from something that happened earlier in the day and I start revisiting that situation. 
and I notice it, I might just say irritation. And if that lasts for a while, I try to feel what it's like in the body, notice the thoughts, notice the emotions, stay with it as long as it's predominant. When it's no longer predominant or I'm not sure what's predominant, I go back to the breath. And so we just stay with the breath and then whatever takes our attention away, we notice it. We stay with it it, as long as it's predominant and then we always keep coming back to the breath or for some of us it might be um, some other focus point than the breath. But for most of us it'd be the breath. So we'll practice now for about um, another 20-25 minutes.
one's mind wanders, simply notice that and come back.
So again, good evening. Uh, just a few short announcements, then we'll have uh, about a 10 or 12 minute uh, break. can use the bathrooms, um, have some tea, whatever. Um, let's see. For those who are um, listening online, um, when we come back for the talk, please have a piece of paper and a writing implement handy. And for anyone who came in after we started, um, please find, if you don't have with you, a piece of paper and a writing implement. Uh, we're using about uh, half of an eight and a half by 11 sheet. So who's, who has those uh, in the back? This one. So I think they're, they could be out in the foyer. Anyone not have those now? Okay, good. Um, and then on the table in the back, I just have a few things. I have... Um, a sign-up sheet if you want to be contacted um, uh, just probably two or three times a year uh, by me. And you may want to wait till you hear the talk first before you decide. So, um, and then I have my teaching schedule back there, also an introductory reading list, and a flyer for um, a retreat on speech practice, which I'll be doing in Berkeley in April as a non-residential retreat. And then um, copies of the book the, that I did several years ago called The Engaged Spiritual Life about connecting inner work with bringing it out into the world. Um, this last year, I've sold the most copies ever. I don't, I think there are reasons for that. But uh, anyway, that's, that's in the back. And let's see, I'll just mention some upcoming teaching. Uh, I'll do a day long on the theme of transforming the judgmental mind on April 7th, uh, right here. As well as, I think, March 3rd, a day long on the um, theme of the dark night, kind of related to the the Catholic theme of the dark night of the soul, which probably some of you explored. Anyway, that's a pretty interesting theme. And then retreats upcoming on loving kindness retreat in April, the speech retreat in April, a retreat on um, aging, dying, and awakening. I wanted them to change the order, but <laughs> anyway, that's, that's in June. <laughs> And then uh, in May, a more advanced retreat it has prerequisites in which we do uh, dedicated concentration practice and advanced insight practice and working with what we call awakened awareness. So that's in um, May. That, that has prerequisites. So let's take about um, uh, 10 or 12 minutes, and I, I'll try to start the talk at 8.10. So come back a little bit before 8.10, which is 8.10 is 15 minutes from now. Come back a little bit before that. I'll ring the bell um, with about maybe three or four minutes to, before that. Okay? So can stay here and meditate or use the bathroom, connect with friends, whatever.
árboles la luz en las colinas están llenas de piedad el viento en los árboles vienen por ti Vienen por mí, seré feliz, seré feliz, yo solo quiero tener el mundo en mi regalo. Yo solo quiero tener el mundo protegido aquí. Ay, 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 ay. Protegido aquí, aquí. Todos en libertad para Los árboles te salvarán. El silencio oh, será para mí. Yo solo quiero abrigar al
So again, as people are coming in, everyone should have a sheet of paper and a writing implement. Hannah, do you want to call people in? And eventually we can close the doors. Okay. I think when there are cookies available on Monday night, we often have to take a longer break. Again, everyone should have a sheet of paper and writing implement. This evening, connected with this period that we've been in, uh, maybe since the winter solstice, about 10 days of less work for many of us, not all of us, and a, a chance to pause for a while, to stop for a while, and have a sense of the intentions that one has for the next cycle. So I want to continue with that theme and talk about um, finding renewal, clarifying intentions, which also involves letting go, letting go of what doesn't serve us anymore. And I'll give a talk about that 
and we'll talk together for a little while. And then the last part of the evening, I want to do a short uh, ritual, which will involve the uh, piece of paper and a little bit of writing. Okay? So in a way, for some of us, this may be the last day for this period of stopping and pausing. How many of you uh, go back to work tomorrow morning? Right, so a lot of, lot of you. So this evening, I'll try to bring out that theme of stopping taking stock, letting go, finding renewal, setting intentions. And many of you may have been doing that in the last 10 days. You know, it's wonderful to do it this time of year. You know, the earth has really uh, stopped in a lot of ways. It's wonderful to be with the quiet, dark earth and to spend time to be inspired in... So many cultures, there are these times where we need to drop the everyday and the habitual and go out sometimes into the wilderness to find renewal. You know, whether it's the shaman going out seeking visions or people doing meditation retreats or just having, having quiet time, that sense of dropping the habitual and looking for clarity for the next um, period of time. And that's not easy. You know, we have a culture that's very driven, right? Very driven, sometimes hard to stop. I was thinking of the old um, uh, Motown song. Stop in the name of love. Anyone remember that? (laughs) So... Um, and there's a there's a famous uh, story with the Buddha, where um, actually um, someone is trying to kill the Buddha in the story. That happened. He you know he wasn't you know he didn't. Some people didn't like him, right? And someone was trying to kill him and was uh, running after him, but couldn't catch up with him. And he said to the Buddha, "Stop." And the Buddha says, I have stopped. When are you going to stop? (laughs) Right? So there's that sense. We can use that sense of stopping as the stopping of the habitual, stopping of the habitual mind, finding ways to um, touch something deeper. And so um, this evening I want to talk about that sense of renewal using a pretty broad sense of our practice. Sometimes we mostly focus on our inner practice, our individual practice, but I want to talk about our practice and where we find renewal, where we set intentions in terms of seeing our practice happening in three main areas. One is our own individual, personal practice, our work with our own minds, hearts, bodies. A second is though taking our relational lives as practice. And then a third area is taking our participation in the larger world, in the collective life, 
as part of our practice as well in different ways. And so how do we, how do we clarify our intentions in all of these parts of our lives? So for looking at individual practice, we can, in meditation, quiet the mind. It's very hard to have vision and a sense of renewal if the mind's yapping all the time. It's one of the benefits of meditation that we can actually come to some quiet and listen, listen for something that's deeper. And this time of year is wonderful for that. And probably any of us who've meditated, whether it's um, for just a few times or a few years or done retreats, know that when the mind gets quiet, what we often call our intuition comes into prominence. It's that ability to know in a deeper way, often without a lot of thinking her words, to know this is the right direction for me, or that's wrong, or um, to see a pattern of one's own mind just immediately. And that gets activated when we meditate a lot. We We have more of that sense of intuition. We also can open up the heart, energize the body, be more proficient with uh, whatever is coming up. And as we look in this time at um, seeing what calls us, we may work with what we can sometimes call our edge, our edge of learning, our edge of development. This is something which we can talk about in each of these three ways. What's my edge of learning individually? in terms of my own mind, heart, body. What's my edge relationally? What's my edge in relationship to this world that's troubled in so many ways? There's a a nice passage which I just saw today um, from a friend of mine named Robert Masters, Robert Augustus Masters. He's writing about the sense of one's edge. This is what he says. Has the sound gone off? I thought so. How is it now? How is it now? So, um, should I just keep on going? Hannah, is that okay? Okay, I'll just keep going. I'll speak up more loudly, but I don't think this is on. Okay. Leave it on in case it comes back on. Okay. So this is about the sense of one's edge one's edge of learning. Do you know what your edge is or your multiple edges? It's a nice metaphor. It's like, you know, it's like um, I was thinking about where the edge, where the ocean meets the land in terms of ecosystems is always the most creative place. The most things are happening on the edge. Okay? 
This is what Robert uh, said about the edge. <clears throat> your edge is the experiential zone where your deepest, most relevant growth happens. It is a domain of both trepidation and excitement, an existential threshold where you begin to turn towards your fears, your pain, your grief, your shame, and your failings, everything you've kept in your shadow. Such encounters are what bring your edge out into the open. Intimacy with our edge is essential if we are to be our true size, embodying who we are and what we truly are. Our edge is the frontier of the known. If it's not a significant challenge, it's not your edge. If it doesn't require courage, it's not your edge. This doesn't mean that danger has to be present, but there is definite risk involved, whether it be losing face or speaking truths that might radically alter our life direction. If all it requires is thinking positively, it's not your edge. <laughs> okay. If it doesn't, however, briefly bring up resistance in you, resistance that can easily toss aside or shed therapeutic and spiritual interventions, it's not your edge. If it doesn't bring up resistance, it's not your edge. If you think you're doing deep inner work while you sit relatively intact, it's not your edge. If it's easy, asking nothing much from you, it's not your edge. You know you're at your edge when you intuit strongly that you need to go ahead regardless of how comfortable or fearful you are. This is very different from taking foolish or should driven risks. Does that resonate with you? sense of an edge. So it's, it's great to find an edge and it's not so great because <laughs> it can ask things of us. So that's, you know, so I would ask a blessing. May all of us be more in touch with our edge in this new year. Again, individually, relationally, collectively. And so think of that sense of the edge also as you, we think about the relational and collective dimensions so the relational aspect is how we bring out our practice in terms of um, our relationships, work, family, community. And that can happen in all sorts of ways. How we relate to others can happen in our speaking, how we relate to challenges, difficulties, conflicts. And much of our edge may be precisely where we get a little bit triggered where we get reactive. And so some of us may want to set the intention to work more skillfully with places where you lose it a little bit. How's that sound? Not what I came to Spirit Rock for? <laughs> yeah. Do you want to use the, the handheld mic? Okay. Okay, is it on? Can you hear it?
How are we doing? Okay. And then there's the question of technology. <laughs> so, you know, and they're just, we could, we could point in many directions. You know, I was also, do you know that, um, <clears throat> do you know that the level of violence, the likely of homicide is, um, per, for each person is 50 times greater in the U.S. than in uh, Great Britain? And it's almost completely correlated with the number of guns that there are. It's not like people fight less. They just fight and they don't kill each other, right? Anyway, so there are just a lot, of these, a lot of these issues that are there, you know, that are calling for us to, to help with as much as we can. And so there's this way that... Um, we can approach this sense of renewal and intentions in all these areas very much in the same way that we practice generally. The rhythm of our practice is that we really basically do two things. When we meditate, when we look carefully, we see bad habits and we try to let go of them and we develop good habits. And we develop beautiful qualities of ourselves like more love, more care, more wisdom. And that's pretty much it. It's very simple. A lot of meditation is actually learning where there actually are not such good habits. We learn about our neuroses, so to speak. We don't put this in the promotional literature, but it's the case. One Tibetan teacher named Trungpa Rinpoche said, when you meditate, you gain in self-knowledge. And self-knowledge is 70% bad news. And so there's this rhythm where we see, um, we see some patterns that aren't so healthy and we gradually let go of them. And then we develop qualities of mindfulness, qualities of um, seeing clearly, qualities of wisdom, um, kindness, compassion, forgiveness, equanimity. We develop those more and more and that's really what we do, and then we learn to bring those into all the spheres of our life. It's a very simple rhythm. And so that can be helpful for guiding us um, tonight that really want to focus on these two phases. I'll call the first one letting go, and the second one setting clear intentions. And that's, in a way, what we keep on doing all the time. So that's what I'll talk about the rest of the time then we'll have a little bit of discussion, and then we'll do this uh, group practice together. So before we can let go, we need to know what we're letting go of. We need to, in other words, know what our patterns are that are not so helpful, not so skillful. There's a nice poem that some of you know by Mary Oliver called The Journey, where she talks about this uh, letting go of, of old bad habits, patterns, beliefs, self-concepts, self-images. She said, one day you finally knew what you had to do and began, though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice. Though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles. And she talks about then going out into the world 
and, and making the changes one has to make, even though you feel the old patterns there. And again, we're ben- we benefit from what the neuroscientists have told us, that even though we've repeated the same bad habit 345,000 times, there is neuroplasticity, and we can change it tomorrow, or begin to change it tomorrow, not change it instantly, but that we can actually take very, very deep patterns and shift them. And I think that's true individually, it's true relationally, and it's true collectively. It's really important to remember that, especially collectively, because we, we sometimes, how many of you get somewhat frustrated, depressed, overwhelmed by what's happening in the world? Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's shared, you know. So we have to see what, what there is. We have to see sometimes there are limiting beliefs. There might be self-images. I might have certain images of myself where I don't think so highly of myself, where I'm critical. I think I'm not okay in some way. I have to be this way. And we want to really see those clearly. When I, when I work with people on transforming the judgmental mind, this is a big part of what we do. We identify what we call limiting beliefs some of which may have been there since age three, age four, age eight. And we need to identify those, and that can take some work sometimes, to see what's there that in a way is holding us back from our depths. And we need to find ways to access those in order to let go of them. But most of us probably can have some sense of what we want to let go of. Maybe I want to let go of fear or not taking a step I really want to take or whatever. So we need to identify that. Sometimes we need to be able to say to ourselves, I'm not going to go into that old habit, right? So we need a certain clarity sometimes. You know, we'll set intentions maybe to let go of some old pattern but we also have to have the capacity grounded in mindfulness to notice when that negative state comes up during the day, right? And then to say, oh, I see you. I'm not going to go there, right? That's part of our practice. Not easy, right? We have to be able to do that. We have to particularly be able to be wise when we have difficult experiences. You know, when we have something difficult happen emotionally, physically, relationally, at work. It's very easy when something difficult happens for us to, as it were, get down on ourselves or blame others. You know, there's a a teaching that the Buddha gave, which is very fundamental. It's called the teaching of the two arrows. He said that all of us at times are shot by the first arrow. The first arrow could be physical pain, emotional pain, interpersonal pain, whatever. We all are shot by that. But a, a developed practitioner learns not to shoot the second arrow because of the first arrow. So we would do that when we would, something difficult happens interpersonally and I just react and blame the other person, blame myself, just have a very strong reaction. You know, that's called shooting the second arrow. Or I have... Um, Again, something difficult happens in my life and I notice it activates the self-criticism, right? We really want to track that. To let go 
of the patterns. We have to be able to track it. And part of the letting go means not following those kind of patterns, not shooting the second arrow. It's really, really, really crucial. We have to be able to study our fixed views. To, to be able to let go of something, we need to know what are my fixed views? Where am I kind of caught? Where do I have a fixed view about myself, about this relationship, about work, about my future? So again, a lot of this will come up in mindfulness. We just see, oh, I have that view. We have to study especially where there's some kind of reaction or tightness. When those come up in meditation, explore, study. A lot of letting go only can happen because we've been really interested in seeing where we get stuck. You know, it wasn't what I thought meditation was initially. I thought meditation was finding bliss and having no more problems for the rest of my life. And it worked that way for a while. <laughs> and then I suffered. <laughs> and so there is this... Um, way that we actually, again, we don't put it so prominently in our promotional literature, but we have to study our bad habits, what we might call our neuroses, the places we get stuck. Doesn't that sound like fun? <laughs> but it actually is liberating. And again, it's balanced by the other half, which is that we actually activate beautiful qualities. Again, that's the balance I think we can, can find in practice. There's a sense of letting go. This is a, a Buddhist teacher uh, from the U.S. who studied in Thailand a long time. And uh, his name is Achan Samedo. He's, he's in his 70s now. He lives in England. He said this, The practice of letting go is very effective for minds obsessed by compulsive thinking. You, simpl you, you simplify your meditation practice down to two words, letting go rather than trying to develop the practice and develop this and develop that and go into this state and go into that state and read the text and study this and that, just say, let go, let go. I did nothing but this for about two years. Every time I tried to understand or figure things out, I'd say, let go, let go, until the desire would fade out. So I'm making it very simple for you. I suggest just being an earthworm. <laughs> Letting go of the desire, uh, to, for example, to radiate love throughout the world. Just let go. Forget about radiating love. <laughs> Just be an earthworm who knows only two words. Let go, let go, let go. That's a John Semedo. One of the ways we can let go is by forgiveness practice. And it could be the theme of the whole evening. But some forgiveness, particularly, I think, at this time for ourselves, but anywhere where there's some, some stuckness. And I'll just be very brief on forgiveness because it's a big topic. But just to say that um, forgiveness is a kind of a heart practice which can help us to let go of where we're hanging on and reactive. 